the gospel. It's a story of how God created us to be in a relationship with himself. But time and time again, we stubbornly go on our own way. More importantly, it's a story of how God doesn't give up. He loves us so much that when we couldn't save ourselves, he sent his son to save us. He sent Jesus. How we come to know Jesus is the most important story in our lives. Not only is it the story that saved us, but it is also a story that has the power to help others. We call those stories testimonies because they tell the truth of who Jesus is. They testify about what he has done for us. And by sharing our story, we reveal his goodness and his grace to others. There is power in telling your story of how Jesus changed your life. And I believe that story can change the life of people around me. So I will tell the story of who I was and who I am becoming in Jesus. I will tell the story of what he has done in and through me. I will tell the story of how Jesus saved my life. I will testify. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you guys. Um, It's been a minute since I've actually been able to teach at RIV, so the last time I taught was back in September, so it's only right that the first time I teach coming back um, is at Realtown. I mean, come on, y'all. I love our Realtown family. Um, Well, if uh, if it's my first time seeing you, if it's your first time seeing me, my name is Young. Uh, I am our multi and next gen director uh, here at RIV. Uh, And we are, as you saw from that video, uh, currently in our Testify series. Sorry, I'm going to put a timer on because I'm notorious for going over over time. Um, But we're in our Testify series uh, where, as you saw from that video, uh, we're talking about the different stories that, that make up our lives. Uh, the people that we are becoming in Jesus, uh, this idea of, <clears throat> of how God obviously rescues us from our sin, um, but what I personally like to call uh, our formation uh, in Christ. Um, and that's what this series is. And for me, uh, to just kind of start our time off here, I want to share uh, a bit of my story. But before we jump in, I would like to pray for us, so would you pray with me as we before we dive into the, the text here? Lord, we are grateful. Um, I'm grateful to be here with our Rio Town family. Um, Lord, you are weaving a story uh, among stories in all of us. Um, and as our friend Zoe said, um, we are a family of stories. Uh, in a sense, Lord. Um, And at some point, we have overlaps with each other. We have overlaps with you and and the gospel and how Jesus changes us from the inside out and how that is the bedrock of our story. Um, And I pray, Father, that as we take a look at your scripture this morning, uh, as we look at this idea of adversity um, and suffering and hardship being a part of uh, just life and how that interweaves itself um, because of sin in this world into our story. Um, it seems like this dire thing that we run into, uh, and yet, Lord, we know that uh, for many of us in this room uh, that you came to our rescue 
uh, in our greatest moment of need. Um, and because of that, we do truly testify about your goodness and faithfulness in our lives. Pray, Father, as we uh, open up your word this morning, um, that your spirit would illuminate the text to us uh, and to our hearts, Lord. Um, may we see that you are faithful, not only in the story of Joseph, uh, but in our story as well. Uh, so we pray this in your son's mighty name. Amen. So in 2013, actually, before I jump in, actually, um, if you have heard this story before, uh, bear with me. Uh, thank you for your patience. Uh, for those of, uh, of us in the room who have not heard the story, um, there is um, some mention of health issues. So if that's a little triggering for you, just a little heads up for you. But in 2013, um, for me, I was close to following, uh, finishing up my college uh, degree at Michigan State. Um, and around the time of the month of May, um, I had actually begun um, you know, experiencing some physical symptoms of illness. Uh, I remember one night I had gone out um, and went for a jog uh, and then came back home and for about like two days, my legs were like really, really sore. And I was thinking, man, I'm like, I'm not that out of shape, am I? You know, and I'm just thinking like, why are my muscles so strained? Um, and as time progressed, I picked up this cold uh, that lasted for about like a month. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, that's weird. That, that's, 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 that's not normal. Uh, and then I started seeing these little red dots pop up on my arms and my legs. Um, and I was like, that's also weird because I'm pretty sure I had chicken pox when I was in like fifth grade or whatever. Um, and these aren't itchy. Um, and as time progressed, uh, there was all these symptoms that just got worse. And so I ended up going home uh, to my parents' home in Northville. Uh, and that was when my grandma saw me, and she said, you need to go to the hospital. And in my household, if grandma says to go do something, you go do it, right? And so, so I said, okay, fine. Uh, I've been stubborn these last few months, and I'm finally, I'll, I'll finally go to the hospital. So I ended up going to the hospital, did a bunch of tests, you know, blood draw, urine tests, all that stuff, right? And then we go home that night. And I remember I was in so much like pain, because at that point, there was a deep pain in my hip that went all the way down to my knees, and it was just really hard to walk and lay down and sit. And so I remember that night, I ended up turning my phone off, actually, um, because I was like, I don't want anybody bothering me, all right? So I just want a good night of sleep. And next thing you know, at around four in the morning, we hear this like, this giant knock on our door, and um, the whole, all the lights turn on in our home. And I look out the window of my bedroom, and there are just flashing lights everywhere. I see cop cars, I see a, an ambulance, I see a fire truck, and the first thing I thought was somebody got shot in my neighborhood. And I go to the top of the staircase, and I look down, and my parents, my dad and my mom are there, and they walk op and open the door, and there are three police officers there. And one of them says, is there a young Yi at this home? And I'm at the top of the staircase, and I look at my dad. He's looking at me, and I'm like, I did not do anything wrong, I swear. <laughs> and, uh, and the police officer's like, you know, you're, you're fine. Your doctor actually called us, and you need to go to the emergency room. And so I'm like, my doctor called you? And so I realized, oh my gosh, my phone's been off this whole time. So I go and turn on my phone, 
And there are four missed calls and four voicemails, each with uh, one within the hour of each other. And as each voicemail is played, I hear my doctor essentially say um, that you need to go to the hospital right now or you could die at any second. And that's at like four in the morning. Like you don't get that phone. First off, your doctor doesn't even call you at like one in the morning and let alone you're getting this type of message at four in the morning. And so, you know, we, we tell the police officers and everyone, you know, ambulance, all that to, to go because my parents are going to take me to the, the, the emergency room. And because um, my parents are like, what's going on? And so we go to the emergency room and uh, they run some more tests. And then 10 hours later, after running a bunch of tests on June 7th, 2013, um, I was officially diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Uh, which is also known as ALL or B-cell ALL, um, and that is a form of blood cancer. So I don't know if there was a before and after picture, but that's me in the hospital. Um, as I was about to get my, my double lumen port, uh, I don't know if there's any doctors or oncologists here, but I had a double lumen port put in um, so I can get my uh, chemotherapy and my blood and platelet transfusions through that. That is a part of my life story. I want to ask you guys a question this morning. Um, why do things like cancer and suffering to that degree exist in this world? For the Christian, we kind of have an easy answer, right? It's because of sin. It's a simple answer. Let me ask another question. What do you do when things like cancer or another terrible thing rocks your world, when it comes crashing into your world uninvited, when you feel like you are stuck. And this is where things get a little bit more difficult to work through because you need to work through what we call emotions. You work through cynicism, you work through anger, you work through frustration, you work through sadness, you work through bitterness, resentment, all these emotions Become bubbling, come bubbling up. Let me ask you another question. Do you have something like this in your story as you come to Riverview this morning? If you do, do you know how to articulate and share your story of hardship, a moment of suffering, and how God stepped into the chaos of your life and showed his faithfulness. Do you have a story like that? Because the scriptures are full of stories like this. Stories of suffering, stories of betrayal, stories of people being stuck, and God reaching down out of his mercy and grace and taking them out of it. For our scripture today, we're going to hear a story of a young man who was stuck in a literal pit, who was stuck in a bit of a metaphorical pit. It's a story that we may be familiar with as we look at our own story. The passage I'm going to read um, is not on the screen because I'm actually going to read a decent part of the story. So feel free to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. You can turn your Bible app or whatever to that, or you can just listen along because this is a story 
So I want you guys to follow along. uh, Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to read this story for us about Joseph. So Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a a son born to him in his old age, and he made a long-sleeved robe for him. So you can kind of, from that, deduce that he is probably, if not the youngest son. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. And then Joseph, he had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Check out his dream if you're not familiar with the story. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field, and suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Listen, I'm an older sibling. I'm the oldest out of me and my younger sister. If she said that to me, mm mm-mm. She's getting the sandal. She's getting the chancla, right? And they said, are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him, are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and brothers and his father rebuked him. Sounds about right. What kind of dream is this that you have had? He said, am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come down and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. His brothers had gone to the pasture, their father's flock at Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready. I'm sending you to them. I am ready, Joseph replied. And then Israel said to him, Go and see how your brothers are doing. Check up on your brothers and the flocks and bring word back to me. So he went to to him, to the Hebron Valley, and he went to Shechem. A man found him there wandering in the field and asked him, What are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph said. Can you tell me where they are pasturing their flocks? Well, they moved on from here. The man said, I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph set out after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him in the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. Their bitterness, their resentment was so deep that they wanted to kill him. Look at what they say. They said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. So now, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save uh, Joseph from them, and he said, let's not take his life. Last verse here, Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood, throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from them and return him to his father. For some of us, we've heard this story before. Maybe you've seen a musical (laughs) called Joseph and and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And it has colored, pun intended, our understanding of this story. The story of Israel or or, or Jacob and Joseph and his brothers is also known and seen as the fourth movement in the book of Genesis. 
okay? So think like, I don't know if uh, any anime nerds, this is like a, a, a fourth arc, okay, in the story of Genesis. And the thing about this part of the story in Genesis is that it continues this theme of exile, okay? Exile that we find in the book of Genesis. I mean, imagine or, or recall Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You have heaven on earth. You have the Garden of Eden. You have perfection where God walks with humanity. And then sin enters the world. And what happens? Adam and Eve are exiled out of the garden. And so there's this theme of exile that, that weaves itself into the narrative, the story of Genesis. And Joseph's story continues that theme. Verse 23 and 24 says this. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off his robe and the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit, and the pit was empty without water. This pit is the beginning of Joseph's exile, let alone from his own kin. There's no mention at least here, of Joseph's thinking when he's in the pit. When he gets thrown into the pit by his own brothers, there's no mention of what he's thinking or saying or doing. I mean, what would you do if you were thrown into a pit by your siblings? You, for me, I would be swearing a lot. I would be clawing myself out. I would be fighting. I'd be maybe even crying. If I had older siblings and they threw me into a pit, how would you feel? What would you think? What would you do? Though most of us, I hope, have never been thrown into a literal pit, there definitely have been moments, I'm sure, where we have felt stuck in an emotional pit, whether that's anxiety, depression, sadness, a spiritual pit, or a relational pit. For me, with being in this pit that I never expected with my leukemia, um, there was just a lot I had to contend with. There were a lot of key moments in my story. When something as devastating as cancer comes crashing into your life, you experience the whole spectrum of emotions. I remember the third night that I was getting inpatient chemotherapy, uh, and I was at Henry Ford in Detroit. Um, I remember that was the night I told, that was the day that I told my parents, hey, tonight, like, I need you guys to go home because I want to be here by myself. Because I was finally mentally ready to, to yell at God. I was mentally and emotionally ready to just, like, give him the, the, the finger, which I did, right? I was ready to just bawl my eyes out because I had been holding back my emotions for the, the first three days, that third night, I contended with God. I asked him, why me? A year prior, I had chose to, to dedicate my life to him to, to, in, in pursuing vocational ministry. I was ready to, to share about Jesus' love. And I'm like, this is the thanks that I get? You give me cancer? And then there were nights where I felt that the suffering could actually be flipped. That, that God's faithfulness would shine through somehow, even if I died, and I could use this to, to share about his goodness in my life. And then there were nights where I just didn't know what I believed in anymore. I didn't know if God was real or if, if he was just like a weird puppeteer just mastering, you know, just manipulating things in my life. 
I contended with the spectrum of emotions while I was in this pit called cancer. For you, what are the emotional and spiritual, relational or literal pits that you've experienced in your story? Verse 25, the story continues. They sat down to eat a meal, the brothers did. And when they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, and rosin. And they were on their way going down to Egypt. When you think things cannot get worse for Joseph, as he's literally thrown into a pit by his brothers, as listeners of this story, you're like, what's worse than that? Oh, slavery. That's what's worse than that. It is within one verse where he moves from being in a pit, and if you, again, follow this theme of exile, he's thrown into a pit, and the story tells us that he gets pushed down even further. Literally, it says what? And they were going down to Egypt. His older brothers sell him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. And to cover up their tracks, what do they do? They grab his robe, they kill a goat, they put the the goat's blood on the robe, and they go to their father and say, your son has been killed by an animal. And upon hearing this, Jacob, he hears this, and he mourns. And and, and, in anguish, and the the verses are on the screen here, but he literally says, I will go down to Sheol to mourn my son. For the Hebrew people, Sheol is a place where the souls of the dead go after life on earth. And for the reader, again, of this story, we know, the hearer of this story, we know, did he die from an animal? No, he didn't. But what we do see... (laughs) is the irony here is that his brothers are the actual animals. His brothers are the actual animals who have sold him into slavery into Egypt. Perhaps even a fate, you could say and argue, that is worse than death death itself. In this movement of this story of Joseph's life, we enter and we see actual exile happen into his life. He enters true exile, a place of abandonment, a place of being alone and afraid, a place of being thrown into a situation where he's being moved into a foreign land, one that he does not know. Have you ever experienced any sort of exile in your life. As I shared earlier on night three of my inpatient chemotherapy, uh, it was the first night I wrestled with God. I genuinely wrestled with him. Like I said, I swore at him. I wailed. I bawled. I, 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 I just was lost in confusion. I felt the depths of that, that type of pit. And then throughout the, the two and a half years of my of my. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry, chemotherapy journey, cancer journey, there were uh, key moments where the, the, the side effects of chemotherapy or the medicine I was taking was just so, like, just so weird. It's a weird thing. I remember there was one night, excuse me, where, where uh, all of a sudden I started um, getting, like, uh, a fever, but then my body was cold. And like every time I would breathe, it felt like it felt like winter. But this was probably close to like August or September. Excuse me. 
And next thing you know, I'm like shaking. I'm like shivering. And next thing you know, that shivering turned into shaking. And then that shaking turned into convulsing. Um, and so what was happening was, if there's any medical professionals here, I, was, uh, I had rigors. Um, and rigors is when your body gets really cold, but your internal temperature gets higher. And so it's just this weird thing, and then you just start shaking, right, to try to heat up because your body thinks it's cold. Um, and so we go to the emergency room again. That's like 1 in the morning. And the whole time I'm conscious. I'm aware of everything. I'm like, my body's shaking. I'm trying to tell myself, just breathe. It's okay. You're going to be fine. And they put up you know, the heart monitors and the EKG and all that stuff. And I'm just staring, laying on this hospital bed. I'm like convulsing, but I'm like staring at this heart rate monitor and the number is just going up, you know, 130, 140. And then it maxed out at around 170 from just convulsing, right? And my mom, God bless my mom, she's in the room and the nurse is like, oh yeah, we're just going to put in an order for Tylenol and he should be fine. Um, and if you've worked in a hospital, you know how it works. You put the order in and the pharmacy's got to bring it down. But it's one in the morning, so it's going to take, like, she's like, it's going to take, like, 15 minutes. And I'll, all I'm thinking is, man, this thing better come back, like, sooner than 15 minutes or you're going to be dead. Like, my mom's going to kill you. <laughs> because she's standing there, like, give him the Tylenol. And I'm like, I'm going to be dead and you're going to be dead. <laughs> like, that's all that was going through my brain. Um, but all jokes aside, you know, there was a moment in that, time in that in that situation where I was I remember thinking um, like man like if I'm gonna go like Lord like I don't want this to be the time that I go not in front of my mom of all people like I can pass in my sleep whatever but not in front of my mom and it was in that moment where I felt like why why is this happening like it's so unfair like, what, what, what did I do to deserve this? Where are you, Lord, in my life if you say you love me? It was this feeling of, of being forsaken, of being left behind in the dust by God, being casted away. This idea of exile is prominent, again, in the theme, in the story of Genesis. And quite honestly, for some of us here today, we can feel this theme of exile in our own lives Maybe some of you have felt exiled in, there are many ways we can feel exiled in our modern, era, modern day. Maybe some of you have felt exiled by a church community, like that's real. And, and I, it, it would uh, go beyond me to not say this. If you have felt that way while you're at our church here at Riverview, I would, first off, I want to say I'm sorry. And secondly, if you've ever felt exiled or cast aside in our church family, I would love to talk to you after the service is done. Maybe some of you have felt exiled by your own family, in a sense like Joseph. Maybe some of you have felt spiritually exiled by God during a hard season, like me. But I want to encourage you guys this morning to take heart, because Joseph's story actually develops further if you read Genesis 39 and the chapters that follow. It includes Joseph rising to prominence in one of Pharaoh's um, Pharaoh's officer's home named Potiphar. 
Joseph's story continues and includes being framed for uh, sexual assault, being thrown in prison for that, interpreting some important dreams while he's in prison. His story continues then by being platformed by Pharaoh as his interpreter of dreams, and then eventually taking care of his family who runs to Egypt because there's famine that strikes the land. The story of Joseph essentially ends with God's faithfulness shining through, showing that God was there with Joseph all the way through. I want to read for you Genesis chapter 39, verse 23. There's a small taste of God's faithfulness in the life of Joseph. If you read a few, uh, a few verses later in verse 23, it says this, the, the warden who was guarding the prison did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything that he did successful. Another theme that is interwoven in Joseph's story, a kind of like a sub-theme if you will, okay? If you follow along here, which can be found in many other stories in the Bible, is this. It is the theme of the slave becoming free. It is the theme of the poor becoming wealthy, spiritually wealthy. It is the weak becoming strong. Or in Jesus' words, it is the last shall be first. It is this theme that when you find yourself in a place of the pit, of exile, of being at the bottom of the barrel, of being stuck, That gives us hope because in God's kingdom, it is the weak that are given strength. It is the humble that are honored. It is the suffering who are made whole and the last who are made first. In seasons of exile, God can meet us there because we see in the story and the life of Jesus, it is through Jesus Christ, God, the creator of the cosmos, made into flesh, who became like his very own lowly creation to live a perfect life on this earth, only to die on the cross for the sins of the world because it is that very sin that would have led us to an eternal pit, eternal place of separation, a place of eternal exile. And Christ, in his perfect example, brings himself to the lowliest of postures to die on the cross. But much like the heart of Jacob, who he wanted to go into Sheol to to be with his son, right? Jesus goes into Sheol with our sin, but he leaves our sin behind, conquering sin, Satan, and death, conquering eternal exile, conquering the eternal pit by rising and resurrecting from the tomb so that those, for those who give their allegiance to him, would not face the consequences of eternal exile. But what's even more amazing is that for those of us who are here today, who have suffered, who are suffering, or who will one day suffer, so that means everybody here, this Jesus is someone we can relate with. I don't have this verse on the screen, or I'm sorry, not this verse, this quote on the screen, because I thought of adding it too late, but the late Dr. Tim Keller says this. Aristotle the philosopher, that it was impossible that humans could be friends with a God because friends, they have things in common and can say, oh, you too? 
But in becoming human, God's first great act of friendship, he became like us, drawing near to us so that we could draw near to him. Since he humbled himself to get near us, only the humble, not the haughty, can be his friends. In his second great act of friendship, Jesus gave his life for us. In our suffering then, we can look at Jesus and say, you too? For those of us here who believe in this gospel message, we know that suffering is going to come to an end one day. Revelation says there is no tear, no sorrow, no more pain. But I am, though that's true, I am not here to tell you that if you're going through a season of suffering, just wait until you die. (laughs) Like if someone told me that when I was in the hospital, I'd say, that's the door, or I'm calling my nurses (laughs) to get you out of here. Though that is true, it's not the most encouraging message. I'm here to tell you that you can still have experiences, moments of peace in this lifetime in the midst of suffering because of the hope that Jesus gives to us. I'm here to tell you that healing and wholeness through Jesus Christ is something that we can experience on this side of eternity as well. For some, physically, we believe in miracles. Yes, I don't, that's a whole sermon for another time, but it's worth mentioning. Emotionally, there is healing that can be found in the gospel. Spiritually, there is healing that can be found in the gospel, one that is sealed forever. Relationally, in the gospel, we can see that there is healing and hope for reconciliation. A way I've been kind of explaining this in the last six months, we can experience glimpses of the Garden of Eden, of heaven on earth before the first exile because of sin, while here on earth because of Jesus. Not because of your own willpower, not because of coincidence, not because of crystals or astrology or chance, but because of the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ, the founder and the sustainer of our faith. He will help you get through whatever pit, experience of exile, and suffering you have experienced in the past, what you might be experiencing right now, what you will experience in the future, because Jesus proved that when he died on the cross, resurrected from the grave, ascended to the right hand of God to show that suffering can't touch him and that he is the perfect refuge for us. I want to give you guys a reminder as we wrap up here. And this reminder is this, that the gospel of Jesus shines the brightest in the darkest of spaces, in the deepest of wells and pits, and in the seasons of of loneliest exile, Christ shines the brightest there. We've been doing um, an evangelism challenge um, each week. And for us today, my challenge to you is to share on social media, um, either through like a Facebook post, Instagram post, Instagram story, of a moment of suffering. There's an idea in philosophy that suffering is actually the glue that binds humanity together. doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, whether you're a CEO or whatever, an intern or whatever. Suffering, it's the glue that, that binds humanity together. We can relate with each other on suffering. Share that piece of suffering on social media and how God is taking you out of it or how God is working 
his gospel through it. I want to encourage you guys with this last verse, one that has helped me in seasons of adversity and suffering. Because the good and the bad make up the story of our lives. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, and we'll wrap it up with this. The Apostle Paul says this, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let me pray that over us as a church um, and ask the Lord for help in our moments of need. Pray with me. Father, we come before you as, as your people and as your children. Lord, I pray that um, the thing that, the muscle that we exercise the most in our Christian discipleship and apprenticeship to you is the muscle of dependency, the muscle of neediness, that we would walk this life with our hands open, saying, Lord, help me, especially in the moments of suffering. I pray, Father, for my church family here that those who may be going through a hard time, seasons of suffering, of exile, of being in the pit, whatever it might be, I pray, Father, that you would see them through and that your faithfulness would shine through and that they would testify to this broken world that there is a remedy and a cure, whether that is present or eternal, that in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can remain so sure that you would see us through to the end. We thank you, Lord, for Christ. For, for taking on our sin, for rising up from that grave and ascending to your right hand where you advocate for us in the moments of good and bad. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.